changing screen now. Hello guys, it has been a while, but welcome back to the Possifier Paddock Podcast. With myself, Pro Dragon Fire, and my esteemed colleague. Oh, that's me. There on the other screen. There, that would be yes. That, that would be you. Hi, everybody. Um, yeah, uh, we are back. We're back. It's been the summer break. Lots to going on. Lots to talk about. Um, some big changes as well that are coming up. Um, and uh, sort of a changing of the guard. I feel um, starting to take shape. Um, obviously, we are. Well, we now we're post. Almost five days or so post spa. Um, uh, we'll we'll go through the inners, <laughs> the inner details of of that uh, in its full entirety. Um, and obviously, um, Budapest was quite some time ago now. Yeah. Um, so spa, it oh. has come and gone. What a race! In the blink of an eye, and. Oh, mate, I've not seen a race like that for some time. Oh, it's been a while. It's been a while. <laughs> I think uh, I think I said it to you by a text message on, on Sunday night. I feel robbed. I feel robbed. Yeah. I think we, we both agree. I keep on saying 2011, but I'm not 100% certain it was. But that Canadian Grand Prix in 2011, mm-hmm. the button ended up winning after pinching yeah. Vettel on the last lap. Was one of the best races I think we've seen this century or this this you know this decade. Yeah, Spa could have been the same, and the health and safety guys got involved, and we didn't have a race. And interestingly, I've since seen Bernie Eccleston has come out and said something similar, and he said, "We were here to race, let them race." Yep. If anyone mm. wants to say, Do "You know what? It's too dangerous. I'm not going to," and the guys at the back with no chance of points might say that. Let them stay yeah, in the pits. That's absolutely their decision. You know, safety first and all that. But yeah. equally, get out there and race. Give it a go. <sighs> yeah, because I, I did see Bernie come out and he said, if if if, I, if that was me in charge, we would have been racing. And I, I can't help but feel that, yeah, we probably would have had some racing. Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, Bernie, Charlie Whiting, God bless his soul. Yeah. And uh, they, they, they would do their utmost to get you know people going around the track and actually racing because ultimately the only way you're going to clear the standing water is to have the cars moving sitting on the grid yeah it's going to look fucking bad and well you know i'm not denying that the the rain was heavy it was you know it was a traditional spa downpour um but as we know with these cars, to clear the water, you need them moving around the track, you know, because that's the only way it works. It's the only way it happens. And stick them on all, all on full wets, and those tyres do a good job of clearing the water. Um, yeah. I've just been uh, quickly you know. typing in the background to try and find the exact calculation, because I knew there was a calculation mm. around this. A Formula One wet tyre can displace 30 litres of water per second at 300 kilometers per hour so times that by 20 cars exactly and... i mean that i mean that to try and give 30 liters is a difficult yeah. thing to put in perspective Ooh. that's 15 bottles of coca-cola 15 2 liter bottles of coca-cola yeah. all sitting next to each other that's a lot of water to displace yeah i can't understand particularly when they were behind the safety car at slow speeds 
why they just didn't leave the cars out there for longer. They only ever did two lap stints at any one time and then came back into the pits. Leave them out there behind the safety car for five laps if you want to. See if you can get a dry line, see if you can display some water and get going. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we've seen them behind the safety car for longer periods at other trucks. Yeah. Like, you know, two laps, is that really enough to assess? Um, and then obviously drivers, well, the only cars that were going around was, uh, you know, uh, Maylander mm -hmm. in the safety car. Driver and, the day. Uh, and Alan van der Mer Mer Merva in the medical car. Because uh, I, I, I remember listening to some of it and like Martin Brundle was saying well, the most exciting thing they've seen is Alan van der, Ver, uh, van der Moer in the bloody medical car being sideways through Puan. <laughs> and I was thinking, yeah, those guys are having a great time, you know. Um, uh, yeah, we, we, we've been robbed. We've been robbed of uh, an event. I mean, let's look at Spa and look at the historical races, the ones that have been in the wet. And it was an absolute fucking corker back in 1998 in very similar circumstances. Was 98 the race where Hakkinen pit Schumacher at the end of the straight when they were lapping, I want to say Ricardo Zonta, but they were lapping someone? That was 2000. So was 98 okay. was obviously Damon Hill, Ralph Schumacher in the Jordans. Oh, of uh, course. You know, absolutely similar rain, similar circumstances. We went racing and we had a fucking hell of a race we had a brilliant race yes it was carnage yes there was a lot of expense um but i feel we wouldn't have had those kind of levels of carnage this year mm. if we'd gone racing I, you know you wouldn't have had shinji nakano just blindly plowing his minardi into the mess ahead yeah, it's just you know, just failing to register. Oh, look, there's cars everywhere. I'm just going to carry on. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. It just, I, I, it would have been a different story. It, it would have been nice to see the wet weather play out as a bit of an equalizer again. Because, yeah. well, I mean, we, I know we'll probably talk about this in a bit more detail. But mm. when we talk about the equalizing of the field, didn't have to do wonders for George Russell. Uh, and you know, that far even, away from pole position. Exactly, exactly. It was it was a true lap of the gods. Um, and, you know, even his teammate Latifi, he was ahead of pretty much half the grid as well. I, you know, it just goes to show what the what the wet weather can do. Apart from Huss. Huss are just shit in the wet and shit in the dry. Let's, you know, just, just forget about them now. But I, um, I think that the main reason, I think there's three things that made the decision to, mm. to not start that race. One is what happened to Antoine Huber. Yeah. That that still lives long in the memory as one of the most recent deaths, and certainly at Spa. One yeah. would have been the massive pile-up and accident going through a rouge for the Formula W series on the Saturday, which involved yeah. seven or eight cars, at least one of which then became airborne. Uh, two, of, two, in fact, were airborne. Uh, yeah. Both of those ending up in... Uh, medical city and in the local hospital. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, don't get me wrong. We know no one's died. Everyone's okay. There was a couple yeah, of people absolutely. taken to hospital for checks. Absolutely. Um, but then, obviously, the third driver would have been Lando, who had a great shout of getting pole position, and then obviously had his off at Eau Rouge. And it's amazing, actually, when you watch it on the replay, you can see 
very typical of an F1 driver. You can see those cat-like reflexes. As soon as the back starts to go, he's correcting it the other way. And he's just been incredibly unfortunate that as he's in that correction, the front tyres have bit again. And he's gone straight into the barrier. Nothing you can do to catch that. I know Rouge is a fast corner. The downside will be, and we had this discussion as well, what does that mean for the future of Eau Rouge as a racing corner? Because the amount of accidents yeah. and incidents they've been there over the, the last few years now, I think there's a number of suggestions around the FIA about whether they make some drastic changes to that corner. And actually, the only yeah. thing I would say is, having looked at that corner in a bit more detail on the on television, there mm. are opportunities to keep the corner exactly as it is but increase the amount of runoff that there is there. And, you know, although I think we'd probably hate to see it from a visual aspect, they could have that uh, rubberized coating that we have at Paul Ricard that slows the car down rather than the gravel or similar that risks a car mm -hmm. flipping and digging in. Anything to take some of the force out yeah, of that yeah, car the energy, yeah. the barrier. Yeah. Um, because it is, it's always going to be, this is always going to start to, um, I think this, you know, let's just talk as a general thing. I think we are coming, if we're going to start to take away corners like Rouge, if, if that is going to be ultimately what they decide, if they decide that what they're going to do is they're going to basically turn it into a straight run uphill and over the crest one well that's one of the most iconic corners in f1 history just gone mm. but then are we we are we really then starting to move into territory where we can legitimately well where f1 legitimately has to then turn around and say tracks like monza are unsafe because of the speed yeah uh, where do you draw the line because obviously if you're going to start saying that corners like that are dangerous, then you could say, well, okay, so Parabolica is dangerous mm -hmm. uh, because there's been big accidents at Parabolica. You know, we've, we've seen even junior category cars flipping over, the, you know, the tyre barriers and stuff down there. Uh, you know, Ascari, you know, there's a, a potential, that's an uphill over sort of a crest into a, you know, chicane sort of part of the track out of a DRS zone. Yep. Um, where do you start to draw the said line because ultimately you know once you start going down that route then you're gonna have to do to apply that same theory and rule set for all tracks so then are we we're gonna end up in a in a state where oh that that corner's too fast so let's turn it into a chicane mm. or you know or you know the, the camber on that's a bit wrong so we're just gonna straight line that it, it just it yeah where, where do you draw the line because then eventually does it's going to move away from just being racing really it's going to you know be thing I, uh, Alonso I think came out and said it doesn't need changing and I think Mark Webber agreed with that as did Mika Hakkinen and Lewis Hamilton as well mm -hmm. so I mean you know some big names advocating that we don't need to change it's just other aspects as you've mentioned need to be looked at and whether that does mean that they have to invest a substantial amount of money to re-sculpt where that grandstand is behind the yeah. barriers because I, I know that there is plans to 
put in new grandstands, but maybe they need to now look at okay, we just we need if we're going to do it, we need to move that banking back, move the barriers back. So if a car does spin, it's got more space to you know just slide up the track rather than smashing into a wall back across the track into oncoming traffic, as we've seen, and it doesn't end well when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, if you look at Lando's accident as a prime example, so he's come round the Rouge and he's going back up and the barrier obviously goes round the track and he's caught yep. it almost at the end of that barrier. Had that yeah, grandstand yeah. have been another 20 or 30 feet further back and therefore the, the Arnco barrier could be another 20 or 30 feet back, A, he might have regained control before he got there and B... He probably would have missed it and straight-lined the corner. Worst case scenario, he would have taken both left tyres off the car and ground out along the armco rather than bouncing back across the track. And that, for me, is the bigger problem with Eau Rouge is because of the amount of energy going through the car as you hit the barrier, if you yep. do in that position, you bounce back across the track. That is yep. ultimately why we no longer have Antoine Huber with us. It wasn't the initial impact that killed him. It was the secondary impact of another car coming through and hitting straight into the side. So yeah. I think there's lots of work that could be done that could make that corner safer without adjusting the corner itself in any way, shape or form. And I think yeah. you're spot on, mate. I think, you know, when are we going to say 130R needs to have exactly the same treatment? You know, you could pick any track in the world and say there's corners mm -hmm. that need to have the same treatment. What we also yeah. don't know, because we know that the 2022 cars are going to go back to utilising ground effect. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So, yeah. if you look at it, you could look at this another way and say ground effect will be giving you, in essence, very artificial grip, but much heightened grip in comparison to what the cars do now. What happens if one of the skirts fails or something in the car fails so that that ground effect is no longer doing what it needs to and you're purely relying on mechanical grip and aerodynamic grip which is significantly lessened because you've been relying on ground effect you're going to go careering off the road at any corner yeah, exactly uh, there's yeah there's there, there's so many things that i think if we go down ground obviously we well we are going ground effect that's yeah. just the, the the plain and simple aspect of it uh, these things are things that are quite important that need to be factored in mm. um, because you know the safety brigade are going to be uh, you know jumping around on, on all of this kind of stuff yeah. I guess only time will tell really as to where we're going to go I'm sure the FIA will do their due diligence um, safety reviews and all that kind of stuff that they do um, you know obviously Michael Massey standing by the decisions as to what they made at the, at the time and fine you know you're the race director i'm sure you've got your reasons mm. um but it's yeah it's just i don't know a lot of it just does not just does not sit right it, yeah i think, I, I think it would be a shame if we start tarnishing historic tracks such as spa I mean, we already lost the bus stop chicane, for Christ's sake. So, oh, you know. know. And they still call the fast that is there the bus stop chicane, which hurts it's even more. Because it's, it's not fast. It's not fast. It's rubbish. But it's, that's what it is. It's interestingly, I've, I've just noticed in the background, obviously, I, I researched earlier exactly how many litres of water 
uh, and F1 tyre displaces and I left that page up and having looked down there are some similar news articles and I've just seen there's a news article here from Kimi Raikkonen on the 10th of October 2019 oh, uh, for okay. racefans.net and the headline is Raikkonen states F1 looks ridiculous by not running on wet tracks. <laughs> and I find, you know, this is a conversation we've been having now for a, a few years, clearly. But I remember at the end of this Grand Prix, someone made the comment that modern Formula One cars are not designed to work on wet circuits. And equally, the Pirelli wet tyres are not as good as the previous typhoon, uh, sorry, monsoon type tyres that we used to have back in the day from Bridgestone and Michelin. But I don't, that's not a sustainable model because you can't control the weather you will have rain you know particularly when you go to certain parts of the world um turkey last was it the turkish grand prix last year that was a complete washout and was slippy as oh, well. slippy as fuck because they just resurfaced they had all the oil from the uh, new surface coming up as well yes 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 it was yes and let's yes. face it you know dragon pro dragon fire and myself are both british we know what the weather's like in the UK and how changeable it will be. Out of 10 Silverstone Grand Prix, you can guarantee at least half of those will be wet at some point. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can't have it. a race car, particularly something like this, that can't race in the wet. And the one thing it, I will say, I, I, I was frustrated at having lost a great deal of my Sunday afternoon. I'm really glad I wasn't one of those poor souls that had paid a significant amount of money for flights, hotels, tickets, to then stand in a grandstand or stand on the sides getting soaking wet to see absolutely fuck all. They are, those fans are the ones that the paddock should be all really embarrassed about. And let's not forget the FIA's standpoint on that as well, where they're saying that uh, yeah, there will be no refunds. Um, because it was a race. race. Enough laps were completed. Yeah, fucking bullshit. That is, it's absolute bullshit. <laughs> that that absolute stinks bullshit. of just money grabbing. That's I've ticked the box. I've done the bare minimum I need to. You've seen your lot. Jog on. I'm sorry, that, that's not what everyone's about. That's not what the sport and the spectacle's about. I very much doubt that's what any of the drivers want. Mm. No, exactly. Well, this is the thing. Like, yeah. Uh, why would, you know, what's the point? Like, you could go back in a, you go back, so, to F1 of old. Um, Charlie Whiting would always consult with the drivers and the teams. And he would gauge that. Now, I know that there are some rather sensitive people on the grid these days, and they <laughs> they you know they lose their you know lose their bottle in the wet. I think I'll say, um, and you know I oh, know it's too wet to drive. And I say, well, fucking don't race then. Just go. And, you go and park up. Let the big boys get on with it. You know, um, and go from there. But. I don't know if that actually happened, really. It seemed to be um, all reliant on uh, Bernd Maylander and Alan van der Merwe to, to feed back whether or not we were going racing. But they're driving, essentially, for all intents and purposes, a glorified road car. Um, so, you I know... It... Part of the problem here is they drivers very rarely go and have those direct conversations but they make passive aggressive statements on the radio knowing that race control monitor all their radio control 
yeah. if I remember rightly, yeah. every driver on the grid, Lewis Hamilton included, who's you know seen as a bit of a wet weather specialist, all said, it's too wet to race, we can't do it. One driver out of the lineup was going, it's fine, I don't see the problem. And of course, typically, that was Max Verstappen. And that would be for two reasons. One, he wanted to catch up the deficit to Lewis because he was behind mm -hmm. in the championship. And two, he's front of the pack. What he doesn't have to deal with is the spray from every other car flicking up into his eye line and visors. So yes. I, I think some of those conversations, I, prob I, I actually think Lewis's conversation was probably tactical. Because actually, if you don't run that race, Lewis still leads the championship with the same amount of points he came there with. If you do yeah. run the race, Max is already two places ahead of him. There's a risk that Max is going to walk away with a lot more points. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's all part of the bigger game, yeah. um, unfortunately. That's just how it is. It's all games. Um, yeah, of course it is. Of course it is. But that's where we are, isn't it? You know. Mm. Um, it's going to make our well, driver rating conversation interesting, though. Oh, yeah. Great. Fantastic. <laughs> I, th I think we're just basing and qualifying. <laughs> uh, we have to. There's nothing else you can do. Um, I mean, of course, one of the drivers that, out of all of this carnage that did fuck himself over and screw himself with points, Sergio Perez. Oh, I know. <laughs> uh, yeah. I do you know what? I feel for him. I really do. Oh, I was like, no. Because at first, I, there was hope in me that said, ah, Red Bull's done that before at Hungary. Like, they can fix that. And then when I saw that he was properly like bedded into the wall, it was like, oh, oh no, this this one's a bit more uh, <laughs> a bit more serious. Yeah. But, um, you know, it, it's a shame because had we gone racing, we would have had Perez and the Red Bull coming through the field. And, you know, Perez is not a bad hand in wet conditions. No, no, I'd agree you with know, that. He's proved that in the Sauber days, the glory days. And obviously for the racing point last year, yeah, last year in mixed condition. So the only thing I will say is by by Sergio officially being classified as 20th and, and last, mm. we have got away with one of the most awkward conversations I think we would have had this year, which is about whether he's allowed to have restarted that race at all. Because the rules are very clear that the car must be on the grid, tyres on 10 minutes before the race, of course he wasn't then the yeah. race started and had its warm-up lap plus an additional lap behind the safety car which they didn't count for whatever yeah, reason yeah. why the fuck like <laughs> so in theory yeah. he should have been one lap behind um so i think there would have been some significant arguments and concerns around around whether he should have been allowed to rejoin and whether that constituted a rule break but frankly Every rule in the rule book that I know of went straight out of the fucking window this weekend because they they didn't start the clock when they should have done. They, yeah. they did start the clock. Then they had some laps which didn't count towards race distance but clearly would have used vehicles' fuel. Then they did stop the clock when it shouldn't have been able to be stopped because they wanted to maintain the ability to have a race. The whole thing was an absolute shower of shit. So I think Sergio and Red Bull probably got away with having some really difficult questions to answer, mostly to their peers rather than the FIA, about why they were allowed to rejoin the race and should it get points at all. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, 
There is something else, like, there, there, there was a bit of another clusterfuck going on, obviously, besides all of this as well, which involved the Hass drivers. I think I sent you uh, the link, because while we're talking about clusterfucks, let's just talk about it. Uh, obviously, uh, <laughs> Nikita Mazepin bleating and complaining that the exact same chassis he has compared to Mix was heavier and had, you know, all these extra issues, da 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 da, da. And so he got given a brand new chassis at the expense of Haas, uh, probably bankrolled by Daddy. <laughs> um, and uh, yeah, uh, so apparently this is his uh, what he was saying. Uh, so this is after the Styrian Grand Prix and um, after obviously Budapest. Uh, Nikita has said. He's found it difficult to match Mick Schumacher's performances in the race and has claimed he has a weight disadvantage and a much heavier chassis uh, to Mick, um, which he believes leaves him a sitting duck for his teammates' performances. <laughs> and Gunther Steiner then has obviously, he's, he's obviously gone, right, okay, fine, just have a new fucking chassis then and be done with it. Yeah. Um, and he said, yeah, he or I, I, I would do a Gunther Steiner impression, but uh, usually uh, I'm not very good at this. Uh, <laughs> he, 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 Steiner's come out and said, yeah, we, we've given him a new one. Um, and it, you know how Gunther talks. He says the chassis are, I don't know the exact stiffness data, but you cannot change the stiffness of a chassis without changing the homologation. It's a homologated chassis, so it will be very similar. There is always a tolerance in it, but I don't know off the top of my head the tolerance. And I don't know how much this new chassis is going to benefit Nikita. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Yeah. Okay, Godfather. Right. He's obviously just rambled as in true Steiner fashion. Obviously, probably a bit pissed off that he's had to then call up Gene and go, I need money for a new chassis. Because this is all money that Huss do not have. Um, yeah. It uh, is. I mean, I, I, I'm just I, looking I, at the F2 results last year to see how many times Nikita Mazepin outraced Mick Schumacher. It's not that many. Mick, no. was, Mick was ahead of him most of the season. That's probably why Mick won the title last year and Nikita came oh. fifth. Oh, of course. Maybe he just had a heavier chassis. That must have been it. That must have been it. If only we'd known oh. that last year. God, do you know, I always wonder why he was so slow in F2. It's because he's had a heavier chassis all this time. Yeah, you've called it. Fuck. Fucking hell. Fucking hell, man. <laughs> oh... What I, I mean, I'm not, I, you know, I, I, obviously there are subtle differences between chassis, but to say that there is an outright weight difference on a homologated and let's not forget very precisely made piece of technology, you know, um, these, these cars are down to, you know, a gram of weight. To say it weighs more just is an absolute bullshit excuse for you not being fast enough, essentially. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I... And it, do you know what? It was the same the year before. So in what year we're looking at here? 2018 now? Uh, Nikita Mazepin was 18th in the league standings and Mick came 12th. And if you look at it, Mick outraced him in almost every single location. 
I think it, it's the typical racing driver excuse. It's just the modern way of the racing driver excuse. But it smacks a bit of, Mummy, Daddy, he's got something better than me. Buy me something better. Yeah, and he knows his dad will. Yeah. He knows he will. Um, yeah, fuck it. Uh, we're not going to see the back of him, I don't think, for quite some time, which is an incredible shame because he just... <laughs> He's, a, he's just, like, when you say pay driver, he is the epitome of the pay driver saga of the 90s. That is what Nikita Mazepin is, just in the modern day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Absolutely. I, I don't know. I don't know. Um, I think we've officially gone on record a few times to indicate that we're not necessarily a fan. No. No, 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 no. no. Whereas no, Mick, um, I've, in completely stark contrast, I, I am a fan of Mick. Um, I think he's shown an amazing talent, not only in F2, but so far in F1. And I think he's got a pretty bright future ahead of him. I mean, interestingly, this is quite interesting. I know most of the cars stayed the same. Um, I'm just reading the full transcript of what Gunther Steiner went on to say. And... Um, He's actually said that there was no financial implication on the team for this chassis change. Um, stating that two of the chassis they've been running are actually Kevin Magnussons and Roman Grosjeans from last year. <laughs> so, okay. I mean, if anything says how short your money situation is, that would that would probably be it. Um, yeah. Um, <laughs> I, love, I love Steiner though. He goes, he goes. Yeah, we, we, we've we've been using two old ones. Um, he said, however, you know, we only had two two old ones because one obviously we destroyed last year <clears throat> in Bahrain, which we burned. <laughs> ah, like Gunther, really? <laughs> there, there's only one Gunther Steiner. There ain't another one out there like him. I, I, I just love him. He's 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 one of the last remaining true characters as a team principal, I feel. But do you know what? Yeah. I'm, uh, so I'm thinking about this from a, a business perspective, finance, logistics, rather than the fans and what we want to see. It kind of makes sense. And if I was in Hass's shoes, I'd probably be doing something exactly the same because yeah. my suspicion will be is that they are pouring their resources, their finance and their development into the 2022 car for the regulation changes because you're not going to get the back of the grid car to be up challenged the Mercedes in one year with the same technology. That's, you know, that's Einstein's definition of madness is doing the same thing and expecting different results. Mm -hmm. The regulation changes, which historically shakes up the field quite significantly is their biggest opportunity now to have something more competitive. Yeah. So I, I kind of get that. Save the money, use last year's chassis, pump it into next year's car. Yeah, I think that needs to happen. I mean, that... that yeah. Yeah, has you know, needs to think. I mean, interestingly, um, obviously we're going through sort of, I guess, the the crazy season, the mid-season mid, mid, like, mid -season madness as to all of the stuff going on. Obviously, while we're talking about Haas, mm. um, at, what day is this on? So I think it actually might be, t yes, not today, but yesterday. So yeah, not today, but yesterday mm -hmm. at uh, 6.36 in the evening. 
Uh, I'm just looking through these Sky Sports updates, and uh, it actually states that um, uh, the uh, a Haas renewal deal is imminent for Mick Schumacher. Um, so they're expecting Haas to make the announcement within the next couple of days. Okay. So that is interesting because then who's going to Alpha and please God not Nikita Mazepin. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. There's there's lots to talk about with drivers because I mean I've sent yeah. you some articles and stuff which actually do you know what these prophecies are turning out to not be far off the fucking mark at the moment and it's crazy to think that um oh uh, yeah I mean we we haven't got a race to really review um I think that's that's we've we've already made that case in point but let's let, let's talk about qualifying really um. I think, yeah. obviously, we've got some, some, some ultimately shit cars in positions that they shouldn't be. <laughs> um, George, you fucking superstar! Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, yeah, it's just it's just a weird one, and I think if anything um, has compounded Valtteri Bottas's misery, it is the qualifying session here at Spa that has pretty much. I would say now, written off any hope he has of keeping that seat. I, I would, would agree. It's a done deal. Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm with you on that. I I think the writing has been on the wall for some time uh, for for Valtteri Bottas. We we've said it a few times. We suspect the move and and what will happen from it. Mm -hmm. I. I think going up against Lewis Hamilton as one of the most successful drivers of all time is going to be mentally and physically draining for anybody. We saw it take a hell of a toll on Nico Rosberg. We saw it take a toll on Fernando Alonso back in the day as well. Uh, the yeah. only people he's ever successfully teamed and partnered with have historically been drivers that are not on his pace. People like Heike Kovalainen, and people like Checo Perez, or no, he didn't have Checo Perez, did he? <clears throat> but uh, Heike Kovalainen would be a good example. Him and Button yep. were a bit more equal, and I think... Mm, that I think was the start of a change there. It, it was, it was. And I don't know if that's just the fact that they're both British and therefore they could socialise and get on with each other better off, off, off the grid. I just don't know. But we know that having... Anyone team uh, teammating Lewis Hamilton is uh, in for a really tough ride, and I yeah. think Valtteri has reached his limit. He's pushed himself as far as he can go. He's come close yeah. a few times this year, and towards the tail end of last year, he has been nowhere. I think he's just reached the end of his threshold. Yeah, but he's he just looks like a very fed up and broken man to be honest right now um, he doesn't give across that kind of you know the, the calm chilled vibes he had when he was at Williams you know uh, when you know by and large he did start to have quite the measure on Felipe Massa mm. um, you know Massa was no slouch he was no slouch um, so you know Bottas has got pace but he's another He's a number two. He's a number two, and maybe in a in a smaller midfield team, um, he will fill that void of being a team leader with his experience now that he's got in F one because he's got a substantial wealth of experience. But for a big team that's going for titles and all that kind of stuff, you know, I just 
I don't see it in him anymore. Um, you know, he's sporadically showing on, on you know on his day, as as is often the case. When he's on his day, he can be one of the fastest drivers on the grid. But unfortunately for him, well, those days have become very few and far between. Right <clears throat> to the point where now I just have absolutely no faith in him winning a race. I don't see him winning a race this yeah. season. Oh, you know, I don't see it happening. I don't see that he's going to take another victory. I, I think you're right. I think I think his uh, his chances now are going to be too few of our between between Max and Lewis. I think they'll have that on lockdown at the top. Uh, and I think you know if he is leading, uh, I think there's going to be a lot of team orders coming to play now because the title battle is between Verstappen and Hamilton. So I I think all he can expect is to be getting that message of uh, Lewis is faster than you. <laughs> yeah. Get out, the get, way. Out, get out the fucking way. Get out the fucking way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I'm hmm. I'm going to make a call of what I think is going to happen. Ooh. And I'm going to caveat Ooh. this ever so slightly. Because I think there's two possible directions that this could go. And I think it depends, A, on Valtteri's motivation to remain in Formula 1 if he's not going to be in a championship winning car. Or a race winning car, even. And yep. two, I think the other part, it will come down to finances. Okay. So what I've been reading online is Valtteri to Alpha. I yes. don't see that happening. Mostly because Alpha as a junior team, effectively to Ferrari, are probably going to be more interested in having a Ferrari Academy driver in there like Callum Eilat or Robert Schwartzman or mm. similar. I think what we're likely to see is a straight swap between Williams and Mercedes for Russell and Bottas. Bottas will go home, Russell will get his chance in the Merc. The reason I think that is because Mercedes provide the engines to Williams and yep. George Russell is effectively on loan to Mercedes, so the cost mm. to paying his, uh, his salary and similar is not really there for them. I think the only things that would scupper that is Williams will probably want Mercedes to offer them financial support to cover Valtteri's earnings. And does Valtteri want to go to a Williams if it's not going to be a race-winning car? If if neither of those can be sought out, I think what you'll see is Nick de Vries in the Williams next year. And I don't think you'll see Valtteri Bottas on the Formula 1 grid in 2022 at all. Okay. All right. Well, you had it here, folks. So, <laughs> so far, the prophecies are taking shape. So, but yeah, I, I think that's probably the more realistic outcome. I, uh, I would be surprised if this gets announced as Valtteri going to Alpha, like because they're they, I know that they're also saying that Antonio Giovinazzi is going, and I'm like, well, yeah. he's got a fucking contract, and that you know that that's you know three as years. far as I, yeah, it was maybe a three-year contract yeah. now. Now, like we know, obviously, obviously we know in experience that contracts Def one mean very fucking little. Let's not let's not beat around the bush on that. They, they do, and they get severed for whatever fucking reasons, and that is, that's the way it just goes. Um, but I'd be very surprised if Alpha go for a completely hundred percent fresh driver lineup. I'd be very surprised about that. I would um, as well. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't foresee that happening. I think, you know, the only team I know who did that recently was Haas. 
hasn't necessarily worked out for them. You know, Mick's shown flashes of brilliance, but the car's nowhere, and it never will be yeah. for the rest of the season. And I suspect that's why they felt comfortable to go for the double change. Otherwise, yeah. I can't imagine why you would want to go for the double change. No. No, I, I wouldn't have seen any other reason. Obviously, a year of maybe saving finances in the immediate to plough into next year's car with the rule changes. Yeah, fine. Yeah, not a problem. Yeah. Um, a team like Alfa Romeo, which is essentially still Salva, let's not forget it's still operated by Salva, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I would not see that happening with them. I, I think that they'd still want to keep at least one driver on board. And, you know, with Kimi announcing retirement, that one driver is Antonio Giovinazzi. And uh, we've already had this discussion. Is Antonio Giovinazzi a team leader? The answer to that question is no. Oh, whoa, 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 no. Whoa, whoa, hang on, hang on. No, oh, let's but, not forget your YouTube uh, commenter. Oh, Vanny. I'm sorry, mate. I've done it again. As we know, Antonio Giovinazzi is the best driver on the grid. He's just oh. been sandbagging for the last three or four years for reasons mm. unknown. Yeah, doing fuck all against the driver who's retiring. What? Oh. Who's yeah. 41 years old. Or did, was, he, was he 41? Did we say he was older than that? Oh, I can't geez. remember. No, he's 41, isn't he? Yeah, he's 41. He's no he'll be 42. Chicken. I think he'll be 42 when he, before he actually goes. Is that he right? will. Oh, yeah, he'll, he'll be 42 yeah. in October. So next month. Yeah, so. Yeah. I, it's, yeah, I don't know. No, Antonio as a team leader, I think if you're going to have Antonio as a team leader, then you're going to have to put in one of your real hot shot guys in the second seat that couldn't possibly do something. Now, you've got Mick Schumacher that you could move, mm-hmm. and then that would prevent the whole Mick Nikita bullshit going on at Haas. Yeah. Uh, and we'd actually get to see Mick in what I think would be a, a more reputable vehicle on the grid. Um, and interestingly, obviously, you know, Callum Eilot is making his IndyCar debut. Um, don't know if you've seen this announced. Um, Callum Eilot will be uh, will be making his IndyCar debut at where is this fucking racetrack? Oh. I don't know. Yeah, he's at Portland. He's so he's making his IndyCar debut. Portland, Maine. Um, yes, 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 yes. Okay. Um, That'd be interesting. Well, here is an interesting thing. So also detailed in this article, it goes on to it goes to talk about Calamola because I think Calamola is probably one of the hottest prospects coming through motorsports junior categories. We agree. Um, yeah. Now, interestingly. Um, he was obviously runner-up to Mick Schumacher in Formula 2 in 2020 mm-hmm. uh, finished second in the Formula 2 Championship however due to, for whatever fucking reason he's not actually had a consistent racing programme since that runners-up position um, obviously he's made his first practice debut with Alfa Romeo at the Portuguese Grand Prix he's raced at Le Mans in the Ferrari GT car um, however they are reporting that Callum Eilat is not being considered for an F1 seat yet again for next season and instead his sponsors are lining him up for a full-time IndyCar campaign next year and I think that's a fucking shame 
I agree, I agree. But I suppose the opportunity has to be there for there to be a seat. He's not going to go straight into a Ferrari because Ferrari are not going to do that. If Ferrari are going to promote anyone at the moment, it would be somebody like Mick Schumacher. And even then, I think it's too early. I think they'd be looking more for a tried and, and tested well, driver. Yeah. So your opportunities are only really going to be Alfa Romeo or Haas. And or until Haas, yeah. Silly Season completes itself, we don't know where that opportunity is going to be. I think our no. prediction is we think... Mick will take Kimi's seat at Haas and Antonio on the basis that he has that three-year contract is likely to stay. That creates a stable yep. team and that leaves a live vacancy in the second Haas alongside Mazepin, which could be an opportunity for Callum Eilat or Robert Schwartzman or another academy driver. Yeah, well, I mean, they keep on... Oh, like, yeah, I don't know. Right, I'd be very surprised, but, you know, um, they're saying that the offer is there on the table for a full-time IndyCar seat for Eilat. Um Ultimately, with the year he's had with racing this year, with not really having a full-time anything, I think he's going to want a full-time seat. I would, as a racing driver, I would. That's what I would want. Me too. Um, <clears throat> it'd be a shame to see him disappear to the stateside, because generally, once you go stateside... It's don't come very back. hard to come back. Yeah, exactly that. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see. The interesting thing is the team that he's going to be running for is the newly relaunched um, Junkos Hollinger team. Okay. Um, who, obviously, they were they were quite a full-time presence in IndyCar up until about 2017, and then they became sort of an Indy 500 specialist uh, from 20, up to 2019. However, the team's been relaunched in a full-time capacity... Interestingly, it's managed by William Williams F1 board members. Oh. Yeah. Though, considering he's a Ferrari junior driver, that's a bit interesting. Um, but, okay. you know, we, we will see. We will see. But, yeah, I just thought I'd mention that about Eilat because I think if he gets sucked into that stateside world, I don't think we'll see him come back. Um, I would tend be a, to agree with you. You know, we've, we've there's been lots of uh, British drivers that have gone uh, to IndyCar and have made a name for themselves yeah. and done very well. I've never been particularly close to IndyCar, but isn't Dario Franchitti Scottish? Yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. Dario. And actually, um, so I'm, I've just now started a quick Google. Mm -hmm. I've just got the list in front of me. And there are, you know, there's some names in here that we're very familiar with, like Simon well, Paginot. You know, yes. Yeah, yeah. Who's in the current... Uh, Driver standings. Here we go. Alex Palou, who who we know, uh, is over there. Marcus Ericsson. So clearly, Marcus Ericsson's had his F1 career. Got over there. Isn't going to come back. Yeah. Takuma yeah. Sato. He's actually doing very well over there. But well, again, that's Takuma post Sato. Formula One career. Yeah, Takuma Sato, two-time Indy 500 winner. Yeah. I mean, you know, the the guy is fast. He is fast. Inconsistent, but fast. Yeah. <laughs> um, but you know, you got legendary names returning next year, full time. Um, you know, you got Helio Castroneves in his forties making a full time return next season after okay. his win, his fourth fourth win, record equaling fourth win at Indy Five Hundred this year. Yeah, so there, there are big names over there, and, and there are British drivers in the uh, Indy Lights, the you know the feeder series. There, there's British drivers in there. Uh, and if you look down the list, you know, you've got Justin Wilson's brother in, on the list, Stefan Wilson. You've got 
Um, who's the other guy? Harvey, Jack Harvey, something like that. I'm sure he was, he was sort of junior categories throughout until you know the F1 stuff fizzled out, and it was like, oh, okay, I'll go to the states then. I do wonder if coming back to professional racing at this level in your forties is really the right thing. I mean, don't get me wrong; I'm always conscious that you know your Kimi Raikkonen's and similar to this world are in much better physical condition than I am. But I am approaching 40, and I am acutely aware that there are things that I am less able to do now that I could do at 30, and again when I was 20. You know, the body does age. That's why a professional footballer starts to think about retirement at 32, 33 years old. You know, no matter which way you look at it, things are not as sharp and, and as quick as they used to be. And I do wonder, when you're a professional driver, particularly a successful professional driver, coming mm-hmm. back after those previous successes, does that does that water down or, or change your previous history in some way, shape or form? Do you think of them differently? Because yeah. Valentino, I mean, you know, moving away from mm-hmm. Formula One very briefly, the yeah. legend, the doctor, Valentino Rossi, has announced this week that he's going to retire from MotoGP. Yeah. I'm surprised he's left it as long as he has. But, you know, he's he's got a love and a passion for what he does. Whether he's winning or in the middle of the pack, I don't think it's necessarily mattered to him. He's loved and yeah. enjoyed it. But he I has. will always remember Rossi for being oh. world-changing, leading the pack, multiple world champions. But... In, in the way that a lot of people hate Lewis Hamilton and hated Michael Schumacher when he was racing and hated Sebastian Vettel because they were winning all the time, nobody hated Valentino Rossi. He won back-to-back world titles and everyone thought he was the best thing in the world, which says wonders for the man, really. It does. And he, do you know what? And he's a genuinely nice bloke as well. And plus, let's not forget as well, um, shortly after announcing his decision to retire, he posted up a picture of him and his other half. They are expecting a baby. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, there is a mini Rossi on the way. A baby Rossi. So, I cannot, like, yeah, cannot fault the guy. And, uh, you know, he's obviously, he's at a different stage in his life now to where he was in his glory days. And, yeah, he's tried to persevere. He's tried to persevere with the Yamaha thing, but he's you know he got relegated from the Yamaha factory team to the customer team, and it's not been the same. Like his highest finish this season has been tenth place, mm. uh, you know, and it, it, it's, I think it's just reached that natural period in time where, okay, now's the time to make that change. But he's already said, you know, he's still going to carry on rally driving. He's still going to carry on doing endurance racing. And he's looking at other things he can get into because he's got his uh, VR46 endurance racing team, you know, and they've been quite successful with him at the wheel. Uh, they won the the, 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 the uh, Dubai 24-hour race last year. So, I mean... I right. can't remember if we said this on podcast or not, but I remember vividly back in the V8 era, well before the hybrid turbos, Valentino Rossi had a test drive in a Ferrari and within four or five laps he was basically on the pace of what the professional yeah. drivers were doing you know he's he's yep. got that that typical natural ability of a racing driver it doesn't matter if it's two wheels four wheels or or eight you know he can make something go fast and he knows the lines he has the feel for it you know he's an immensely talented man yeah, he's, he's he is a god. He's a master. Right? He's a doc. He's the doctor. He's the doctor. You know? And he will forever be the doctor. He's he was fucking brilliant. No matter what you put him in, 
he was fast. You know, it, it, he's just one of those naturally gifted chaps that frustrates the hell out of me because he could just jump in something and do it. You know, it's just. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to put it out there. I don't know if form, if um, if racing series tend to do this. It's more common in things like football and basketball and what have you to retire a shirt number. I'd quite like to see Valentino Rossi's number retired. I don't think anyone else could come in and ride a motorcycle in MotoGP with that number. Unless it ends up being Rossi Jr. Yes, yes. <laughs> it can be reserved for Rossi it Jr. It could be reserved for that. Otherwise, no one gets a look in that. That number, indeed, needs to be retired. Um, yeah, I agree. Um, like I say, it's sort of that period, though. This is the era, you know, the, the, the people that that I've grown up watching, you've grown up watching, that it's the changing of the guard. You know, you've got Kimi going, you've got Rossi going. And, you know, let's be real, it's not going to be long before, uh, you know, Fernando goes as well. It won't be long, you know. Hamilton's yeah. not far away now. He's, you know, he's there. Vettel, you know, these are all big names, really. Big names from our era. Uh, that, well, yeah. Like soon we're going to be left with no drivers on the grid that were actually around in the naturally aspirated era. Yeah, it's exactly what I was just thinking. We're not far away from reaching the point where there won't be an alive and active Formula 1 driver that remembers a naturally aspirated V8 sound. They'll all be turbo hybrid. Um, and yeah, that is that is actually quite sad for me because, you know, I remember the previous generation vividly. You know, I remember Damon Hill, Jack Villeneuve, Nigel Mansell. Yeah. And I even still have certain memories before that when I was much younger of watching Alain Prost, Nelson Piquet, and Senna. So... To then see the next generation of your Lewises, your Fernandos and what have you start to get towards the tail end of their career, if nothing else, reminds me how fucking old I'm getting. Don't, mate, don't. <laughs> In here, I'm still 21, mate. It's just the yeah, rest well, of me it's... that's not. Yeah, this is it. That's the horrible realities of uh, of, of life. Um... But yeah, it is changing the guard, you know. Um, a natural but... thing. But what I will say is, you know? I think you and I agree on this in a number of areas. Some of the new talent coming through, I feel really comfortable to leave the future of Formula One in the hands of people like Carlos Sainz, like Charles Leclerc, like Lando Norris, like George Russell. You know, they are immensely talented, but equally, they're nice guys with it. You know, no one's got a bad word to say about Lando. Carlos, I don't know, you know, we talked a little bit about Lando's crash at Eau Rouge. Carlos Sainz was being interviewed during that. And you can see him sort of look up and see the camera and then ignore the question. And then everyone realises what's going on. And Carlos just forgets everyone else is there. Because, of course, Lando was his teammate. He knows him well. And he just stares into the middle distance at this camera and doesn't respond to anything until he sees him get out of the car and knows he's OK. And he goes, OK, he's OK. That, I like that. That sort of human touch to the sport is exactly what we need. And I'm um, comfortable these guys will do a great job taking it forwards. And, you know, let's not forget as well on the human touch, Seb Vettel pulling over, making sure Lando's all right. I've, it was very, <coughs> yeah. very reminiscent of the, the Ayrton Senna, Eric Comas uh, at the same part of the track. Um, oh, was it? I thought Eric Comas was going up the hill towards the bus stop. No, come on now, people. That was at the top of my reach, uh, Radion. 
Was it really? Okay. I'll take your word for it and what? secretly yeah. Google it in the background to make sure you're right. <laughs> secretly Google it. I, I can see you. Yeah. <laughs> you can see nothing. I'm, I'm, I'm invisible. Um, um, yeah, I, very I, reminiscent. I, uh, do you know what? I, I, I will say this again, and I've said this before, and I've said this a lot. It shows the change from Vettel in his Red Bull days. Yeah. Very much shows that at the moment, like, because Kimmy is kind of like the distant uncle that has no emotion, you know. Mm-hmm. But Vettel is now, for these, it seems to be the father figure, you know. He's that, you know, he's out there, and his intention at the moment is to look out for the best for everyone, it seems, you know. Yeah. It, it, He's he's litter picking. He's uh, you know he's race directing, saying it should be red flagged. He's the medical car checking on Fernando. I mean, this guy is. Uh, I, I I do you know what I rated that so much. I was like that right there. That shows that you know when the fucking chips are down, they're like he's yeah they're all looking out for each other at this moment in time, which is fucking awesome. They now. Are. I am going to say one fucking thing on this, and on. it was it was a thing that really like griped us before when Lewis Hamilton was criticised for celebrating pole position while a driver was in the medical facility. Oh, yes. what fucking happened here? Lando Norris was in the fucking medical facility, and uh, Max Verstappen and George Russell were celebrating being on the front row. Oh, oh, forget yeah. George, but Max Verstappen was celebrating. So. Fuck off! Like that's bullshit, and they know it. Like, yeah. I so... said, I said exactly the same thing to someone, and I was challenged on it by saying, "Well, it's not like it was a live incident, and he knew he was okay." Uh, no. What the fuck? Bollocks. No. Fuck off. Bollocks. They one didn't rule know that for one, one rule for another. I'm not having that. Yeah. This is this no. is exactly the hypocrisy of what yep. we were saying about Max Verstappen and the Red Bull team. Mm-hmm. It's all well and good when the shoe's on the other foot. Yep. Yeah, yeah, fuck them. Like, absolute bullshit. That is my gripe. That's my gripe with this. Yeah. That was that was it right there. I was like, hmm, why are people not complaining? And I de- yeah, the only reason I remember that is because I saw a tweet and someone instantaneously tweeted back to Red Bull saying, well, I assume you're going to be telling Max Verstappen that he can't celebrate pole position. <laughs> <laughs> so... It's funny you should say that, and I don't know if I'm going to be able to find the tweet now, but um, I follow Chris Harris, uh, Harris oh. Monkey, on Twitter, and yeah. he's usually brilliant. This weekend, he was very consciously antagonistic, but I did like one of his tweets that the Max Verstappen fans were all over. There we go. Presumably, Max won't celebrate pole with someone still in the medical centre. Is exactly what he tweeted. And clearly, he's had to remove some tweets because there's something to say. I've, I've deleted a tweet because that was clearly poorly phrased. Um, but I did enjoy the few personal threats that I was sent through. Thank you, Twitter. So, you know, people have taken this very much to heart. It's always the way you always get it. And do you know what, though? <clears throat> like, this is something, and we, uh, we've we had conversations about this all the time, I think, throughout this season, being very conscientious of this it, F1 is for everyone kind of approach that the FA want. When you look at the F1 of old, mm-hmm. so and we only have to go back to early 2000s, late 90s, well, 90s and so on. 
F1 was a community. You had your drivers, you had your rivalries, but you didn't go out there making threats to one another. You know. Yeah. And now it just seems to be the thing of, oh, if my driver's not winning, I'm going to make a death threat. Right? Get over your fucking selves. It's racing. Are we talking about uh, Formula uh, One or just Dan Tickton just in particular? Uh, well, you know, I mean, yeah, Dan ticks him absolute fucking moron, and I'm glad he's lost his drive. Um, well, so, he lost his drive yeah, yeah, he's he lost it. Yeah, yeah, it's good, fucking good. I'm, I'm going to actually give a slightly different side to the same coin, mm -hmm. and I'm going to ever so slightly disagree with you. Oh, because oh, I vividly remember the hostilities between Senna and Prost. And oh, yeah, that, yeah. that garage was divided between the two to the point where McLaren didn't go and challenge the fact that Prost and Senna went off together at um, at the Senna S's in Suzuka. It was Prost who took his helmet off, saw Senna rejoin and go straight to the marshals and fight that himself against his own teammate. And that relationship there never really recovered and there was issues for years. So there mm. were always no, yeah. individual heated rivalries. But when it came down to life or death situations and making sure other human beings were okay, Prost was one of Senna's pallbearers at his funeral and remains to this day a trustee to Senna's charities. So, you know, there is a line to be drawn between what happens on the racetrack and what happens in real life. Yeah, so uh, what my point was is with more in regards to the F1 fans. So, okay, you know, back, back in the day, it was a much more respectful, you have your driver, I have my driver. Yes, there's the rivalry. But you weren't, you weren't fucking going into situations and saying, oh, because well, your driver's won and they've had an accident, I'm going to fucking stab you and your family and all that kind of shit. It wasn't... It, it's just... I don't understand that mentality, to be honest. Well, that, like, that unfortunately, is social, social media. media all it is. Over. It's social media and people <laughs> thinking that they can just say whatever they want because freedom of speech. It's like, well... It's, yeah, there's, exactly. There's, there's, so there's there. <laughs> it's been it's been really interesting to me recently. So you know, taking a slightly different tone to this conversation, but obviously, mm. I given the role that I have, I've been fortunate enough to be able to work remotely most of the time for the last yeah. eighteen months, going into the office where needed. Um, I've had to be in the office a few times this week, um, and that, well, over the past few weeks. And every time I've seen someone who I've only met through Microsoft Teams, they've gone. Oh my god! I didn't realise how big you were because I'm about six four. So you know, sitting on a video call, I just look like this little tiny dot. But no, yeah. in real life, I'm six foot four tall. And actually, this to me typifies the difference between the internet and a bar. If you and I were having this conversation at a pub and someone disagreed, no one's going to come, or very few people are going to come up to you and me and go, "You're fucking wrong," and I want to take it outside. But when you sat behind a keyboard on a computer, everyone and yeah. their wife's happy to have their opinion and call you out on it because they don't have to face the consequences with it. And this is where the whole Be Kind campaign is starting to, yeah, to try and kick off and, and gain some momentum mm -hmm. because people are needlessly and consciously sometimes cruel online and they just don't need to be. We're leaving yeah. the human touch in that respect. Yeah, we are. Very much so very much so and it's a shame it's a shame it's come to it and you know we're having to run all these campaigns and all this kind of stuff 
just fucking like be kind to each other. We're all the same. We all eat, sleep, and shit the same. Fucking hell. Well, unless you've got a colostomy bag, in which case you don't shit the same. But or if you hang upside yeah. down like a bat to sleep. You know, there are some. Oh, God damn it! We have to be inclusive of everybody. It's got my nose. But yeah, no, I mean, obviously, slightly different um, turn of conversation for a Formula One mm. podcast. But yeah, absolutely. When yeah, you, you just have to sit back sometimes and reflect on your own life what's going yeah, on with you and then realize that everyone else whatever you've got going on in your life everyone else has something similar going on be kind to everyone you meet give yeah. everyone the benefit of the doubt and as my mother used to say to me and i'm sure most people my age say something similar if you haven't got anything nice to say shut the fuck up yeah yeah don't say yeah, exactly anything. That. just don't say it just yeah you know there's there's times and places to bite your tongue Yes, um, well, I know that yeah. all too well. I'm a married man. I know fully well to bite when when to bite my tongue and call it a day. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, we digress. I mean, we have digressed. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so another name um, I've I've seen sort of floating around about a potential return to F1, which Red Bull are trying to push, is Alex Albon. Yeah, I, um, I now would I, be surprised now if I don't see him in an F1 car again. Yeah, yeah, I'd be very surprised. I mean, he's now proven he, he can still win races. He's won a DTM race. Yeah. Uh, well, sorry, GT3 race. Um, he, you know, and it was a decent, solid effort from him um, and fair play. I, I mean, I would still like to see Nick DeVries. I hope your prophecy turns true on that and we see DeVries back on the grid. Uh, because he should have been on the grid fuck it, a long time ago. Uh, and after his exploits in Formula E, which he's proven he can drive anything now, mm. um, I I would hope that we see him back. You know, he's Formula E champion now. The, the first time it's actually been classed as a world championship, he's won the title. Um, so, yeah, um, he's also a Formula 2 champion. He, this guy should be at the pinnacle of motorsport. He should be. I don't know, you know, obviously the ins and outs of F1's a very fickle fucking sport at the best of times. Oh, yeah. But we need him. <laughs> and, you know, uh, where, where where does DeVries go? Probably Williams being Mercedes-backed. But then where does Albon go? You know, where the Red Bull decide, oh, I mean, we could go historical here. We could go historical. Red Bull do have an allegiance to Sauber. They do, but given the <laughs> engine provider, I'd be surprised if they went Hello. that route, unless there was going to yeah. be some option for Red Bull to provide the, the oh. Tag Heuer Red Bull Honda branded engine to, oh, to I the I don't know what they're calling that now. What, they've changed the name of it again, haven't they? Fuck are they calling it now? Saying, track, I, was, I don't know. We need we need Delhi to come and put some input in. Where's <laughs> where's fucking Delhi? He could be our inside man. Yes, um, yeah, we could have our insider knowledge. I've mm. forgotten about that. Now, I don't know if you saw. Obviously, Spa was obviously a washout for the F1. Yeah. Um, obviously, you know we've we've got all these hot prospects that are coming up. That you know, there's there is going to be start to be seats available on the F1 grid. Mm-hmm. Um, Let's give some credit to the Formula 3 guys and the W Series drivers who actually got out there and put on some absolutely fucking brilliant racing. Um, the Formula 3 guys were incredible. That was a great fucking race. Um, and I've got to say, 
I was very impressed with one W Series driver in particular in the wet because she came from fucking nowhere but drove like an absolute champ in the wet and that was Emma Kimmelainen and I think she's another is she a Finn? Another Finn? Okay. I don't know what it is with Finnish drivers when it comes to wet weather racing but they're like they're good um, and she passed the two championship fucking favourites um, Jamie Chadwick and Alice Powell to fucking win I don't, I don't know where she came from but you know after obviously the reduced grid due to the massive pile up um, which thank god they're okay um, I will say again as we said in, in our whatsapp conversation it proves again why the halo is part of motorsport now um, because the way that those cars went into each other without halo that floor of the car would have been you know yeah yes it could have ended very yeah. very badly so you know although aesthetically I've never been a particular fan of the Halo. Oh. I think it detracts from the, the age-old looks of a Formula One car. I do Absolutely. understand the needs for it from a safety perspective. Yeah. And I think even there were a number of Formula One drivers who felt the same. Roman Grosjean, I'm sure, was, Grosjean. A, was a real critic of the Halo. Martin, even Martin Brundle was at one point. You know, the, these guys, all critics, same as us. We, we were yeah. fucking out, outraged about it. We were like, what the fuck is this? They've all changed their uh, tunes since. Yeah. Yeah, including us, uh, including myself. Like, uh, yeah, it, there, there's been accidents since where the Halo has done a fucking great job. It's, it's done an amazing job. Um, I think the first time I really saw it in its proper use was when, at Spa, Fernando Alonso obviously flew across the top of Charles Leclerc in the Alfa Romeo. And they showed yeah. the damage of the halo at the end, and it was all like, you know, it was it proper taking a massive fucking hit, but it withstood a full F1 car just fucking ploughing over it. Well, the one uh, that actually yeah. struck me more was Roman Grosjean's accident yeah. to Bahrain, because that there was enough mm -hmm. force in that to split the chassis in two. That's yeah. no mean feat. And mm -hmm. yet when they dragged that car, which was, you know, nose yeah. first through the barrier, split yeah. the barriers, when they dragged the car out... The halo was intact. It wasn't mm -hmm. dented. It wasn't misshapen. It was burnt because everything yeah. around there was. But it was yeah. fully intact. Like that safety yeah. cell for the driver was exactly what it needed to be. It was amazing. That's impressive. It was amazing. Absolutely incredible. Uh, and it just hits home. And you know, and like like Grosjean said, that was the moment where he would never get in a race car again unless it had a halo type device on it. Yeah. And, and I can't fault him. I, I like when you've been through that kind of experience um and it's essentially for all intents and purposes it saved his fucking life Let, let's let's not be around the bush it saved his life the only reason he is here today is because of that device um yeah and uh, i think the the bigger thing for me is had the device existed a few years earlier we would still have jules bianchi with us and he probably would have been a Ferrari driver alongside Charles Leclerc. Almost certainly. And um, that, you know, at what different era we would be living in. Because I reckon Jules would have been a solid, you know, title contender, race winner. Because the, the miracles he was doing in that little Marussia or Manor, whatever you want to call it, he, he was pulling out some great results in that car. You know, just an awful all-round car, but he was doing wonders and yeah 
I miss those small teams. Uh, and I mean, we, you know, yeah. we miss drivers like Jules, and it's just that freak accident that's, you know, obviously caused um, the issues. Oh, well, well, you know. No, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, I, th I think we've had a few discussions about this, but, mm. you know, it, it wasn't that long ago, it was certainly in living memory, that you expected to start a Formula One season. And not every Formula One driver would end that season. That that you know, in the 70s and the 60s, that was just the norm. Um, yeah. But we sometimes forget that we had that horrible, incredibly dark weekend in 1994 at the San Marino Grand Prix, where we lost Roland Ratzenberger and Ayrton Senna. But then, very almost Rubens Barrichello. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Christ, that would have been a, an interesting trio to have all three. Um, but yes, yeah, so a two deaths in one weekend in 1994. The next death from an accident of a Formula One driver in a live race was Jules Bianchi. I've just yeah. had to Google it to check the date. It was 2014. So there was a 20-year gap. 20 years where not a single Formula One driver lost their life. There still would have been accidents and injuries. Yeah. Michael yeah. Schumacher would have broken his legs. Felipe mm -hmm. Massa would have had concussion from the spring of Rubens Barrichello's car hitting him. You know, mm -hmm. people would have been injured and hurt, but no one, everyone left the circuit alive until mm. Jules Bianchi. So yeah. it was, it, it shook the entire paddock. Yeah, it did. It did. Um, it almost sort of just become the norm, really. Yeah. You know, whereas back in the day, it was the norm to go to a race and lose maybe two, three drivers. Um, it become the norm to go to a race weekend and not expect to lose someone. <laughs> you know, it's just oh, it's how it's times have changed. Um, it's yeah, it's a shame. It is a shame that you know everything that's come from that though has been a massive step forwards. Mm. Um, and at least in you know in some respects, at least his legacy will always live on in the fact of work has substantial work has been done to not ever have that situation again you know um you know there's different protocols now for diggers going on the tracks there's you know there's different protocols for safety in general just you know the whole world of that has all changed yeah um <clears throat> yeah, uh, you know it's it's one of those isn't it you know it's it's just something we never expected to happen but it did um, but here we are. We're we're in 2021. Um, yeah, back in 2014. It's seven years ago now already. I know. I, it doesn't feel that long ago, does it? Yeah. No. 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 Not at all. I remember um, just looking. Uh, Will Buxton's just made a tweet. Oh right, he's just saying um, the surprise at Calamilot Racing in Indica. Um, yeah, I'm as surprised as he is, to be honest. Um, I yeah, just popped up. Um, there, so there's another uh, Fittipaldi as well. I don't know if you've seen another Fittipaldi is going to be racing the rem the remainder of the F2 season because someone okay. ran out of money. Um, another Ferrari junior driver, David Beckman. Okay. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, hasn't got money to race Formula Two. He's been dropped. He hasn't got the finances. Interesting. Okay. So he's now been replaced by Enzo Fittipaldi. Um, so this presumably is a grandson, yeah. Yeah, a grandson, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he's the brother of the Haas F1 reserve, Pietro, who raced in place of uh, Grosjean. Yeah, okay. 
Um, it's an interesting one that a lot. You know, I see this problem with a lot of Ferrari junior drivers. So Alacy's son never had money to race, and now Beckman. It's like, so what do you get out of the Ferrari Academy? <laughs> Yeah, it's a it's a weird one. I, I've just I've just seen it pop up on the thing saying that uh, they've announced obviously because it, it's a fit of Audi, it's going to be a big announcement. It always is. Um, you know, oh, fit of Audi's grandson. I mean, he's got loads of blood grandsons. Yeah, it just, um, it is it is yeah. something I find a real a real shame though, is that racing like this has become so prohibitively expensive. You know, it, it doesn't feel that long ago. British touring cars, people oh. would just John Cleland. You know, back in the days of the Super Tourists and John Cleland, the man owned a Volvo dealership. He was a car yeah. dealer, but yet yeah. he was able to go and race in multi-million-pound weapons by the, by the end of the Super Touring era. But he was able to go racing every weekend. It was televised, and he had the time of his life. When and he was racing, not bad. Hey, <laughs> two two-time world champion. Yeah. Won it twice. Yeah. When did racing become so prohibitively expensive that you can't just have you and me rock up at the weekend with a car that we built in the garage on the back of a trailer and go out there, be competitive oh. and have fun? I get it at Formula One level, but yeah. the feeder series, the lower levels, shouldn't be that expensive. Martin Brundle and the guys so, all started in Formula Ford on peanuts. Fucking yes. Tiff yeah. Nadell won his Formula Ford car in a competition and then yeah. took that racing around the country and made yeah. a name for himself. Where's this got ro- gone wrong? Well, you see, it's interesting because um, I was actually, you know, interested having this discussion with my other half because she asked me various questions as to why I don't do real life racing anymore. Um, you know, because I used to, as I've had discussions with you about, and mm-hmm. and I, I just basically were like, okay, well, look at this, and so if you were to want to race, like say in the top tier of this is just go karts. So if you want to do a full championship effort in a go kart series, and this is not including spares, fresh tires, this is just your basic car, all of your entry fees, your insurance costs, and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. To race in the top tier, so just below going up into say I don't know Formula Four, Formula Three. It's Formula 4 now, isn't it? That's the, the next rung. Yeah. Um, if you were to do that for one year, it's £80,000 on average. That's eight zero eighty thousand pounds And that's without having engine issues and having to buy a new engine mm-hmm. for the go-kart. Yeah. That's without having spare sets of wet tyres and spare sets of dry tyres. That's not including having someone there to set up the fucking cart or anything like that you know this is just to pay a team to be like i want to do a full season eighty thousand pounds and you're you've got very talented guys out there that can pay you know you you go for your day out go-karting that will pay and do a hot lap session and be fucking right up there at the top of the leaderboards and you go fucking hell this guy's got some talent why are you not racing and the simple fact is they can't afford it like and it is such a shame um someone worked out the, the basic cost this was quite a while ago now so it's probably escalated even more but the basic costs to do one year formula formula four one year formula three one year formula two 
to straight into F1, if you were to be that good to do da 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 da, the average cost that is going to cost in total for an F for for a driver to reach that level is between eight and twelve million pounds. So, I think you know you're, you're absolutely money. right. These are where the problems are. I'm just going to go back briefly to give a bit of perspective, especially for anyone viewing outside of the UK. £80,000, so the current Mm. UK average salary as of the end of last financial year is £31,000. That's that's the average. There'll be people that earn more, but equally there'll be a lot of people that earn less than that. 50% almost will earn less than that. And let's not forget, that's not disposable money. That's just your average wage. Absolutely. So, you know, what you know. the current average price for a house, if you wanted a two-bedroom house oh. in the county yeah. that we live in, so a state in mm-hmm. America, you're looking at about 300 to £350,000 for a house. And frankly, because I'm an old man, I would say this, if I had £80,000 disposable income, I would be using that as a deposit to buy a house rather than to go racing in because that would be my entire future rather than a few weekends of fun until the engine goes bang and I can't afford to fix it. So it's little wonder people like Giuliano Alessi with Jean Alessi's backing and funding and now David Beckman can't afford to keep going in these series when those costs are so astronomical. The challenge yeah. just has to be why are they so astronomical? And this is why F1 yeah. trying to put in the cost caps to try and bring things down. But it sounds to me like F2, probably F3, F4, and other series need to do something very similar. It's, it's just as expensive. And you've got to think as well, like, they're standardised series, right? They are already standardised series. They are the same parts, the same chassis, you know, the same everything. You know, up until you get to Formula 1, the <coughs> chassis and everything are, are, are all fucking the same. That is it. It's, it, it, it comes down to um, you know the organisers, the, the the people running the series, um, and obviously then you know obviously a large part of it as well is how much the venues have to pay in hosting fees to host these events. Yeah. It's it's all blown out of proportion to be honest, um, and something needs to be done drastically. I know Lewis Hamilton's starting up his thing to make it more affordable for people around the world, like around the world, but. It's only going to do so much um, because uh, a very clear thing that proves this theory is actually W Series. So obviously, obviously, you know, there's not very many female racing drivers in top tier series around the world. So they obviously W Series was devised as this platform to sort of bring through these female drivers mm-hmm. rightly, or, rightly or wrongly if it's going to work or not I don't really know if it is working at the moment because the same drivers on the grid in W Series are the same drivers that were on the grid in W Series last year and none of them have really moved on to anything else and this is a key part of this and there's a massive reason why because if you win the W Series title the prize pot is only half a million dollars Half a million dollars is not enough to secure a Formula 2 seat. It's not. They're racing in Formula 3 cars, essentially. The half a million dollars is never going to be enough to get a Formula 2 seat. Jamie Chadwick, who is the reigning champion, let's not forget, she got given this prize pot last year, and she said, 
you know, the most she could afford, the the most that would get her was a bit part endurance GT season, not even a full campaign in GT racing. So, how is this actually helping female drivers? Because if you're not the world champion in, in W Series, you're getting even less. You're getting even less money. So, so I suspect the end goal there know, is is the increased exposure by having the W Series will facilitate more sponsors to come on board. Because as we know, people yeah. like Pastor Maldonado oh. didn't get in on their own merits yeah. and their own rights and their own yeah. finances. They had financial backing from PDSA and other sponsors that funded the team. And that that's where Formula One has been for a long time. One would suspect yeah. the measurements in F2 are probably <laughs> fairly similar. Yeah, I, I guess so. But when you purport that you want to influence female drivers moving into Formula 2 and things like that I kind of feel you should be doing it in a way then that actually offers that opportunity but as it stands at the moment the prize pot is not enough and to be honest I don't think it's being marketed in the right way to really appeal to those much needed sponsors to come on board I think there's a lot more they can do with it um and it's quite a small grid this year. It's only 16 cars. Yeah. So, uh, like, I'm sure there are plenty of other female racing drivers out there. But then, again, the series then weighs the cost of, well, then we're going to have to buy extra chassis, extra cars to put on the grid. And where do they where do they then get that? Because then they've got to find a, a, a team that's willing to operate said chassis, said car, personnel. Yeah. Um... You know, uh, it's it's a difficult, it is a it's a forever difficult, challenging thing. But you know, like Jamie Chadwick, don't get me wrong. Jamie Chadwick is a very talented racing driver, and she's proved she can go up against the males in you know various series. Let's not forget, she is a British GT champion. She won the British GT series in an Aston Martin Vantage. Yeah. Um. So she can go toe to toe with the best, and she's done it in single seaters as well, where she's gone toe to toe with them. But I want to see. I want to be able to see her in something like a Formula 2 car to legitimately see where she is at. Because she can sit there and keep on winning W Series titles all she wants. But are Formula 1 teams necessarily going to truly take note of their talent unless they can see them up against other F1 hopefuls? So, it's a good you know. point. I think Formula 1 teams are going to be looking at this... Mm. I, I, my my hope and certainly my opinion if I was in that position is I couldn't give a monkey if you are male female, yeah. a dog or a fish if you can <laughs> drive a Formula 1 car like it's on fire I'll have you behind the wheel yeah. in, a, in a heartbeat yeah. but my fear is there's two different avenues they're exploring one is who's the fastest to drive the car and that's where your Mercedes your Red Bulls, mm -hmm. uh, your Ferraris are, and then the other coin, the entry-level teams, your Haas, your Alfa Romeos and similar, are who can pay me the most and bring as much sponsorship mm -hmm. in to keep my team afloat, because we are financially yep. running very close to the wire here. Yep. 
and that that is the problem with the financial mechanics which is stopping some of these drivers from coming through. yeah absolutely. absolutely i mean we've seen historically there's been i can't remember the lady's name now but there was a formula one driver who was testing for hrt a few years ago but she lost her eye in an accident maria maria de Velotta. maria de Velotta, that was the one mm. um and there's been female formula one drivers before that the one driver and she wasn't formula one but the one driver that always comes to mind when we think about female drivers is Michelle Mouton, um, who was the world rally champion and, and Group B rally rally Fucking legend. Great driver. But she was a great mint. driver. She was meant. But what yeah. I loved about that was no one gave a shit that she was a woman. No, it didn't matter. No. She was fast and she was toe to toe with the legends of the time, and that's what made it so important. And that's what I want. That's what I want for female drivers in F1 and that equality. I'm not I, I have concerns about the W series because it feels like inequality uh, here is a series that is only for women. Well actually if we had a series that was only for men that's inequality so that worries me a little bit but I also think because it is a series specifically for women it pushes them into a corner and gives us the ability to go well we've ticked that box, women have their series they're over there and actually, what I want to see, similar to as you're saying, is I want female drivers to be able to come through and challenge the male drivers, and we see them toe-to-toe with each other. But yep. ultimately, what I want is to see the best 20 drivers in the world and the fastest 20 cars in the world yes. go around the best 20 tracks in the world. That, that's ultimately yep. what I want to see. If that means yep. the entire grid's female, so be it. Then fine, Good yeah, girls. great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and this is kind of what I was trying to sort of get towards, exactly that. It's, you know, I can give a fuck. I can give a fuck who, like, what you are, who you are. You know, like I say, if you can boot my fucking race car around a track faster than the other 19 people on the fucking grid, then you can sit in that racing car every day of the fucking week because that's how it should be. Absolutely. Um, and yet again, I feel we're kind of in that... Uh, yes, that thing, it comes back to money again, largely, you know, um, and how how you get your name out there as well, you know. It does. I also suspect that there's probably, there's a smaller pool. I think, you know, the the, mm. the, the pool of, of young boys that have grown up wanting nothing more than to be a racing driver or a professional footballer, my suspicion is there's a much larger resource than women who have grown up wanting to be a racing driver. And I think yeah. part of that will be genetics. You know, if you if you go back all the way to, to our original genetic makeup, a lot of the female persona is around protecting the nest, looking after what's safe and secure, and a lot of the men's nature is I must go hunting, what's that on the horizon? Live fast, die young. And the live fast, die young mentality works very well in a Formula One car. <laughs> because yeah. they'll go as quickly as possible and to hell with the consequences women tend to be a bit more measured and a bit more controlled for that. Not always, but um, no, no, a sweeping no, no. generalisation of the, of the genetics and makeup of our species, that was always the understanding I had. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. It would be interesting to see hmm. um, you know, what, what the future holds. I, what, what I'm not a massive fan of is these F1 drivers, well not F1 drivers, these F1 teams that just for the sake of it, they'll go. They they go and they pick up a W Series driver, and they go, "Oh yeah, they're now a development driver." But give them no seat time. Like if they're a development driver, let them have a go. Put them in the car for a practice session. But let's see what they can do. 
let's see what they can do. You know, like, I'll call them a development driver and then give them nothing to do except walk around the paddock and do all the media stuff. Well, that's not really development driving, is it? Let's be real here. You it know, smacks you... of a tick in the box to yeah. pacify, pacify people. It's the same thing we see in, in businesses across the country. You know, this business is entirely white middle-aged men, therefore we shall recruit one BAME ethnic minority of, uh, of a certain age group and a certain gender so that we can tick the box for our equality and diversity. That's yeah. not equality and diversity. That's, That's not equality. Not good no, it's not good enough. It's not good enough. No. I, I don't, you know, don't agree with it at all. Uh, it, that needs to be rectified. Like, and it's much the same with this kind of approach. It's kind of like, you know, like you say, they're just ticking the box to say, yeah, we've got a female driver. It's like, well, you haven't, because you're not letting her drive anything. You're, you're not even getting her out, like, in the in the old cars doing demos or anything. They're like, you're not even doing that. Because, you know, let's, you know, you're allowed to use the older cars to do demo runs and stuff. Well... Put her in the bloody car. Give her a track day. You know, get her out on track round Silverstone. Like, yeah, do some filming with it. Obviously, do all your marketing stuff. But legitimately, give her some track time, and then you can sort of weigh up where they kind of fit in. Are they are they going to cut it? Are they not? You know, if you're not giving them seat time, they're never going to make it. So. So the only thing yeah. that worries me a little bit about this, and I always thought similar when Maria de Velotta was was driving and test driving back in the day as well. It. It is sort of an all eyes on me yeah. type situation. So if you yeah. imagine there's there's 16 or 20 drivers in the W Series right now, and maybe yeah. another 60 to 100 all desperately vying and hoping for a seat, and then one of those women breaks into a development test role, everyone is looking, and the pressure will be yeah, immense huge. in order to succeed. It's huge. Yeah, it will be. It will be. Um, it's whether or not they can handle that as well. That'll be a big, a big thing. Because that's you know to have the whole world watching is a, it's not an easy thing. It's not an easy thing at all. And there's always going to be some severe critics. You know, they we know what they're like. We've seen them in force. Um, and there's some stoic sexists out there. You know, I'm I'm uh, conscious having, you know, the 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 older generation to me in in my experience, people who. Uh, Perhaps in their sixties plus, yeah, the sexism is still there. The sexism is still rife. Uh, and whereas you know, you or I might make the odd, the odd joke. We both know the meaning and intent is not behind it. It's there to be something amusing. Whereas I get yeah. the strong sense that the older generation absolutely fully it, mean it. it it's a solid <laughs> belief for, the, for them. It's a solid belief that you know that's it. That's that. You know, it should be for men and men only. You know. Uh, thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, this is why we see the same yeah. female referees and female linesmen mm. in football getting abuse because all, all the football time. fans all the time. don't think they yeah. should be there. Why yeah. the fuck not? Why not? Why not? They, they can equally do as good a job as any bloody bloke, as far as I'm concerned. And that goes for any job, really. Yeah. You know, oh, it, oh, not any job. Now I've, oh, I've oh, uh, yeah no no I'm gonna oh, be con no. I'm gonna be controversial okay. here, but I have okay. always said a woman is gonna find it very challenging to be a penis model. I I, I you know call a spade a spade oh. it's gonna be hard. Jesus I forgot about that. But putting that aside yes I'd agree with you any job. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah. But yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's it, it's just one of those things, and it, it's it needs a lot more work. Needs a lot more change to come from various things. In this day and age, we should just be accepting of everyone for who they are and just fucking get on with it. It's life. Like you know, you're born, you live, you die. Yeah. So and it's all too short and fleeting. So no just one gets out of here alive. No, no one does. You know. We're not all. We're not. We're not cyborgs. We're not going to live forever. That's just, is, uh, now, just the way it is. Now that people like Bernie Eccleston have stepped away from the helm, you know, as as much as I love Bernie's honesty in some of the oh, things God. he says, there is there is a misogynistic, old, sexist man in there because you know he is very much of his time. Um, and he's made some very derogatory comments about his wives and ex-wives in the media in the past oh, that I think reinforced just. So yes. now that you don't have someone like that at the helm of F1 and you can have the opportunity to bring through the new breed, that, again, hopefully will open doors and opportunities. Now, I'm going to divert us just, just briefly. Uh, because obviously another big event that's happened whilst we've been on our summer break was Le Mans. Yes, we, I am. We uh, haven't even touched on it at all yet. Um, we haven't, and I was kind of hoping you weren't going to bring it up, actually. Mostly because I had every intention of watching as much of it as I can, but I have three children, and therefore my ability to watch a great deal of it was significantly limited. Of course. But I watched some. Yep. Um... I mean, obviously, the the brand we all expected to win won. Uh, Toyota, congratulations again. Yeah, I think it was um, a foregone conclusion, really, wasn't it? Well, it was, but they only won. <laughs> so, so, the, so the the winning Toyota completed three hundred and seventy one laps. Yeah. And the Alpine, which was the next rival that finished third overall, did three hundred and sixty seven. But they had issues. If they hadn't have had the issues through the race, it would have been a closer run thing. So the Alpine actually did a very fucking good job. Um, one team, and I'll tell you now, I am so happy about this. So uh, do you remember I sent you some stuff about Glickenhaus, the other hypercar entry? Vaguely. Um, and their opinions on certain things. The owner of Glickenhaus, um, which I fucking cannot stand the guy, he's a dickhead, he's an arsehole, and he's blocked me on Twitter because of the tweet I sent him. Um, <laughs> they didn't get on the podium and it was so fucking satisfying. <laughs> but uh, 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 there is a favoured chap, so we have, we have an outright, overall, a new British Le Mans winner, Mr. Mike Conway, yes. who's in that, in that Toyota. Yes, and I tell you what, another one in that same very car, and he is a favourite driver of ours. Kamui Kobayashi is a Le Mans winner. I I'm fucking buzzing for the lad. I am absolutely buzzing because I love Kamui. Yeah, and he put he put it on fucking pole again. Like I just the, the guy is fast. He is fast. Yeah. Um, and of course Jose Maria Lopez. He was a world touring car champion. It was a good lineup. A good lineup in that car. Uh, and let's not forget, though, in second place, it was a trio of failed Formula One drivers. 
You could argue Kamini <laughs> Kobayashi falls into that camp as well, though. You, you? you you could, but I love him, and so that's not going to happen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, in the second car, the sister car, was the legendary Kazuki Nakajima, yeah. um, Sebastian Buemi, and Brendan Hartley. Brendan Hartley, indeed. Yeah. Love Brendan Hartley. Um, the Alpine, I tell you what though, they had they had a driver in there, uh, a name that I haven't heard for quite some time, but was at one point, you know, a GP2 driver and all that. Nicholas Lapierre. Oh, I, okay. There's some drive. I was looking through the list of drivers down the list. And I was thinking, oh my god, there is some like legendary names in this thing that you know were once like all battling with Lewis Hamilton and shit for GP2 titles and stuff, and then they just disappeared and then they cropped up at Le Mans like oh yeah we're still racing we're still we're still here there's there's a lot of drivers Ooh. at Le Mans that we know I mean Giancarlo Fisichella still brings out a yes. Ferrari to Le Mans every year as far as I remember yeah. I'm sure he was here this year yeah. people Ooh. like Sam Bird um, yeah Bruno Senna's been doing it a lot recently I don't know if he was there this year Do you know, I know Alex Brundle yes. and Paul DeResta were both there and Juan Pablo yeah so Brundle was in the LMP2s. Um, he finished. Where the fuck did he finish? One, two, three, four. Finished fifth in class. Did Alex Brundle? Okay. Um, well, Will, Will Stevens. How can I forget about Will Stevens? Yeah. Another Brit. He finished third in class in LMP2. Paul DeResta's car finished fourth in class. Okay. Uh, yeah, decent effort. Um, Nick DeVries was actually there as well. I didn't. I didn't realise he had raced Le Mans, but he's there. Uh, Anthony Anthony Davidson yes, um, yeah. was he was partnered by Antonio Felix da Costa. He was indeed. Oh, and R- Roberto Gonzalez, a former, and this is brilliant, a former Minardi Junior driver. Oh Jesus! <laughs> Only you would know that. Only yeah. you would know that. <laughs> yep. Roberto Gonzalez. Yeah, he he was um, he was in GP two uh, for a brief season wasn't very good he was in gpt for a brief season um as thing uh of course the legendary guido van der Gaard. i mean i love his tweets i don't know if you follow his tweets but they are fucking brilliant you honestly if you want someone that just goes in on everyone guido van der Gaard's tweets are amazing <laughs> uh who else have we got down here well felipe oh, Nazza, i've noticed as well as kevin magnuson and jan magnuson Yes. Robert, yes. Uh, Robert Kubica was there. <gasps> oh. Uh, in I've a car just, with Louis Delatraz. I've just seen a legend in the LMGT Pro cars. Oh, yeah. Who's that? Gian Maria Bruni. <laughs> What's the name I haven't heard in a while? Love a former Minogue. <laughs> there was, you know, there are always some great cars there, and it is a great yeah. race to watch. Um, the the only other one takeaway or interesting tidbit that I heard, uh, the Alpine car in mm. LMP1 was LMP2. actually. Uh, <laughs> oh, you mean the hypercar? I mean, mean the hypercar. Yeah. Yes. Was yes. actually an LMP1 chassis from last year that's been repurposed. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. That's an interesting approach, and you know what? They've done fucking well. Yeah. Done really well. Fair play to him. Yeah, uh, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. I think I've I've struggled a little bit. Yeah, you know, we talked briefly about touring cars earlier. You know, oh, in, God, yeah. in the nineties, touring cars was really easy to understand. You got points for winning. 
in the 80s, touring car points was just an absolute shit show. No one knew who was winning what. <laughs> and actually, the winner... So we talk about John Cleland. John Cleland won whatever it was, the 1988 Touring Car Championship, without ever winning a fucking race. Because he was fastest in his class, and therefore he, I... he sort of won his own class. But they didn't give points for that. It, no, yeah. it, it was all bizarre. Mm. Ele, Le Mans has sort of gone a similar way for me with LMP1, LMP2, hybrid class, super hybrids, GT, GT Pro, GT Am. I sort of long for and miss the days of there just being big B10 and B12 monsters and it didn't matter to hell with the rule book we'll just drive something as fast as we can yeah 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 I agree I agree like the Le Mans of old was great like the Le Mans of old when you go back to the Ford versus Ferrari era and all that kind of stuff it was just outright who could make the fucking fastest car like and you know it was awesome it was fucking awesome it was great um yeah back in the day when you had to run to the car and strap yourself in as well oh so good so good <laughs> i mean the only event that i still that i recall that actually still do that is the goodwood races yeah i think health and safety got a hold of that one and said it wasn't very uh wasn't very correct, mostly because most drivers would jump in the car and drive straight off and be doing their seatbelt up at 200 miles an hour <laughs> going round certain yeah. stuff. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that that was the uh, obviously the problem with, with that approach, but um, yeah, I mean the Le Mans race was actually pretty decent in fairness. Um, there was you know some close battles throughout, there was some good racing at times. Um you know, Toyota, they didn't run away with it, but they were comfortable. They they were never really under threat at any point in that race. Um, but it was a good battle between the Alpine and the Glickenhaus cars. I, I quite enjoyed that. That was good. Um, I mean, those cars finished on the same lap, so they were racing to the end, um, pretty much. Um, and again, LMP2 had some great battles as well. So, you know, it's... Yeah, it's, it's all a... Uh, I don't know. It's not what it once was for me. Let's put it that way, the bottom. Yeah. It's not what it once was. Um, I feel the same. And I, I kind of want it to be, but it's just... it's Yeah, you know. Um, just trying to have a look and see what else. What other notable things. Obviously, Jack Doohan actually won in the Formula 3. Hmm. He's kind of reignited his chances of a title. I'm not, I'm not sure he's going to have overtake Dennis Hauger though because Hauger's uh, yeah he's, he's he's bloody brilliant bloody bloody marvellous um, well I I might have to mm. suggest we we might want to consider moving on to consider some final scores for drivers at the F1 otherwise yeah. I might end up having to fall asleep in my office <laughs> I mean no one wants that <clears throat> no. No, no, one, no one wants to see that either so <laughs> Um, well, I guess we can only legitimately base the, these scores on qualifying. So I, I, I think so. Although, does Perez deserve to be marked down for his clusterfuck on the way to the grid? <laughs> so, ironically, I was having a similar thought. My, my thought process was everybody 
just get an average for this weekend because it was an average weekend. Sergio falls below average for making, let's face it, a rookie error, dropping it on the warm-up lap to get to the grid. Awful. That, yeah, awful. That's not great. Um, and George gets an outstanding from me for dragging a well-known poor Williams with no racing ability in it whatsoever to second on the grid. That shows, and we've said before, he's outperforming that car. I think that just really shows it. it for me. It just shows it. It just like it just shows it. Um, I'd potentially um, okay. concede giving Nicholas Latifi um, a, a slightly higher than average score as well. Otherwise, everyone else is exactly where I'd expect them to be. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. So we'll just chuck Nikita and Mick in average because they're where they 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 didn't even change. They're just exactly where they usually are. Um, Perez underperformance. Lando, Lando. Until his accident, he was doing well. He um, was, he was, and I can't fault him for that accident. You know, in stark contrast to Sergio dropping it on a warm-up lap, Lando was going hell for leather to try and, and get pole and was looking really racy. Um, I really yeah. felt for him, and I'm glad he, bloody glad he's okay. Yeah, I, do you know what? Again, glad he's all right, and uh, obviously Dr. Seb checked on him, so, you know, um, <laughs> that's, that's the main things for us. Um, Danny Rick was P4 in the classification, just saying. Um, his best result for quite some time, if you can call it a result. Yeah, well, quite. He was, that's sort of a roundabout where I'd expect that car to be. That's where Lando brings that car home. Was it? Yeah. Uh, let's just chuck him in there. Let's chuck him in there. Oh. Oh, there's loads of averages. Yeah. Let's just chuck them all in. Chuck them all in. Can you um, add some more drivers to that? I mean, I could probably edit it, yeah, and probably add some others in there. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. I think Bert Mylander deserves an outstanding. Oh, if... fucking hell. Yeah, that, that's... Uh, yeah, and, and do you know what? Alan van der Merwe for getting sideways in Puan in the wet and not binning the medical car. That, that, that deserves a... Uh, so, uh, praise. Um, so they, I think they both yeah. get uh, an outstanding for me. Um, oh, and let's not forget, um, I don't know if you saw the official announcement, but Nikita Mazepin held the fastest lap of the race. I, I hate, so, I hate, on that basis, on that basis, on that basis, underperforming, underperforming. Nikita Mazepin, insane drive. No, no, no. Right. It was lovely talking to all guys, but clearly this podcast has gone completely to shit. So, I I cannot even believe a fastest lap was given at all. Why are they giving out that award? You're behind the safety guard. The fastest lap is the fucking safety guard. Absolutely ridiculous. Yeah, absolutely ridiculous. There is only one other person I would potentially add into that list and add a score to. Okay. Michael Massey. Underperforming. Rubbish drive. Rubbish drive. (laughs) Absolutely. Rubbish rubbish. drive. Bottom of the fucking pile. Get out. 
you send him out. Yeah, you, you starved us of our much wanted action. Indeed. Yeah, I yeah, I, I guess that's where we are. George insane, Latifi good, everyone else average, Perez underperforming. It feels um, right to me. Yeah, it feels right. That's all we can gauge it on really. Um uh, it's it. Do you know, uh, like the thing that's the, the big, obviously the big thing is obviously you know, Kimi Raikkonen. This will be his last Belgian Grand Prix, his last season. Um, what a career he's had, though. What a career he's had. Uh, well, I mean, his motorsport career's not done and dusted. Let's not, you know, it's not tiring with that brush. But no. what an F1 career he's had, and what a personality we're losing in the paddock. You know, he'll be a huge uh, loss. He really who will. Replaces, who replaces him? Who replaces him now? That's uh, the thing. So, I know this is an argument of semantics, and some people out there will hate me for saying this. Nobody, nobody replaces him because you cannot replace Kimi Raikkonen. No. Somebody will no. supersede him. Someone will take on the seat that he previously occupied, but replace, I think, is a word I, I couldn't possibly use. No, um... Yeah... It, it was always going to come. It's always that moment that you never want to happen because he's just a legend in every sense of that word. He is a fucking legend. Absolutely. You know, from his drunk shots where he's uh, ski jumping off his fucking stairs to his interviews and, you know, <laughs> yeah. You missed uh, Pele yeah. giving a speech. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Will you get over it? Yeah, I was taking a shit. I was taking a <laughs> shit. <laughs> You can't. Uh, you just you can't. can't. You can't make it up. You can't make it up. And uh, yeah, I hope. I hope we uh, we see a, an even more just chilled out, relaxed Kimmy. Now that he's it's public, everyone knows now. Um, I just want to see him enjoy this final half of a season, and I want to see some. You know, I want to see Alpha actually get some strategy calls right in tricky circumstances to give him a, a relatively decent few results. Yeah. Um. But yeah, a major loss, a major loss, and uh, yeah, we'll see. It's, it's it's big for the driver market. Mm. Um, let's see what happens, you know. And uh, who knows? Kimi Raikkonen for president of the FIA. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, chief driver steward. Let them race. Yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. It's, uh, I don't know. Just ice cream for everyone, you know. That'd be his policies. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's that's it really. Um it is a triple header, so next race is this weekend, um at Zandvoort. Finally seeing Zandvoort on TV. So guys, uh, I hope you make sure you tune in for that because I think it could be a really good race. It is on the coast, so weather could be an issue again. Yeah. That's the only thing. But otherwise, Zandvoort, fucking great track. Is it an F1 track? Let's find out. Let's see. Let's see what that uh, brings to the table. Um, I'm hoping for some bloody good racing. That's what I'm hoping for. Um, I don't know. Any thoughts on what you're hoping for as a final parting gift? I have no idea what to expect from Zambor because I've... I, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a professional race there, Formula 1 or otherwise. Um, but from my very limited experience of, of running around it in the Formula One games and in Assetto Corsa Competizione, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm really intrigued to see what the camber changes does uh, 
to Formula oh, One yeah. cars because there's a hell of a lot of camber mm-hmm. um, in in those, and I don't know how whether that will unsettle the car aerodynamically. I'm expecting, I'm God's honest truth here. I'm expecting to see two or three fairly big incidents, probably in practice and qualifying rather than the race. But I think as people are pushing the car to their limits and understanding the balance, I think we'll see a shift of balance and someone go careering off the track quite badly. Okay. I'm betting Nikita Mazepin first one. Oh. <laughs> oh. Okay. Um, I will uh-huh. take that bet and I'm going to say oh. the first one to go off mm. will be Lance Stroll. Oh. Oh, okay, okay. Did not see, did not see Lance coming out there, but uh, okay, yeah. Right. Just I, a feeling. Let's let's see what happens, guys. You heard it here. This is our bets. Let us know what you think. Um, we, should, we probably shouldn't be betting these things, but yeah, fuck it. Do it. Just put it in the comments below. Let's go. Let's fucking do this, and let's have the crash champion of the Pulsifier Paddock Podcast. It's a new award. That's what we're giving. <laughs> Let's get it to official FIA status. They do everything else. Let's do that. Yep. Um, yeah. Guys, I, I think that's where we're going to leave off for this one. Um, we'll see you post Zandvoort. Um, hopefully not another fucking washout. Um, hopefully then, yeah, a lot more F1 news. Um, and hopefully we'll have some clear understanding of the F1 driver market to bring you. And... Maybe the title battle will spice up a little bit more at Verstappen's home track. This will be an interesting one. Um, so on that note, I think from me, for now, it is going to be very much goodbye. Uh, take care and much love. And uh, you know, see you again very soon. And uh, final words, John. Let's go. Oh, final words are going to be brief. Ta-ta. Thanks for, thanks for tuning in. Um, and we'll, we'll see you next time. Beautiful. All right. Guys, take care. Bye-bye. And we're